It's time now for St. Mary Healthline. Your health is your most precious asset, and every Wednesday at 9 a.m., you can tune in for advice on how to better manage your health. Hear about important medical issues from the doctors and professionals across all service lines from St. Mary Medical Center. So without any further ado, it's time now for the St. Mary Healthline. And we welcome you again to the St. Mary Healthline on WBCB. Great to be with Dr. Ronald Fields, the medical director of the Cardiac Cath Lab here at St. Mary Medical Center, who joins us during Heart Month. It's February, the time when we take extra special care of our heart, but really that should be all throughout the year. Dr. Fields, thank you very much for being with us today. Heart disease, still the top killer in America. It is, Chris. It's the number one cause of death. It used to just be number one in men, but unfortunately it's now also the number one cause of death in women as well. It has surpassed cancer. It's because of a lot of the strides being made in that area but also because people are living longer, and especially women are continuing to live longer, and heart disease most commonly is a disease of old age. Here on the St. Mary Health Line, we've talked to a number of cardiologists, and they always talk about the same risk factors. Stopping smoking, reducing your weight. Any others that are, are big on that list? The main risk factors. Lowering your cholesterol, I guess, right? Yeah, most people are familiar now with the main risk factors. The cholesterol is the biggest, the blood pressure, diabetes, um, your sex is a bit of a risk factor. Men over 55, women over 65 is considered a risk factor, and family history. What we're trying to explain more to patients when they try to understand cholesterol and risk factors and why if my cholesterol is good am I still having a problem why and other I know someone else has a high cholesterol and they don't have problems how do they how do they put that together right and I try to explain how you have to look at this as a two-part process the plaque builds up in your heart arteries that's the cause for heart for coronary disease but the plaque is made of cholesterol but a lot of people have high cholesterol and don't get blockages. Hmm. Why is that? The important part, besides the cholesterol, is how well the inside lining of your artery works as a barrier. Hmm. The artery has several layers to it. The cholesterol has to get through that inside lining and get to the middle layer where the plaque forms. All these other diseases, high blood pressure or, or smoking or diabetes, they don't change your cholesterol they damage the lining right. and allow the cholesterol to get in where blockages can form. That's why you see two people of same cholesterol. One lives to be 100, the other has a heart attack at 40. It's those other issues work on the lining. And because we don't know how to really test how well that works, we assume that everyone is going to get problems if they have those other risk factors, the diabetes and smoking and hypertension. It's why we ask about family history. You know, How does that play into it? That's where it plays, because some of this is genetic. And if your parents were likely to form a heart disease at an early age, you're more likely to have the same genes that make your arteries more susceptible to plaque buildup. So two people could have the same behavior and still have different heart disease. Like there, A lot of different things can be going on in the heart. Do patients often uh, have questions as to exactly you know what is happening with with my situation is it a heart murmur is it uh some type of uh 
uh, cardiac issue um, with like heart congestion or something like that? There, the heart isn't a, it's a single organ, but it's not really a single structure. I give the analogy of comparing your heart to your house. You have the building itself, that's the heart muscle. You have its own plumbing system, the heart arteries, its own electrical system, um, which can have short circuit and cause abnormal rhythms. When the plumbing blocks, it blocks up, you get heart attacks. It has doors between the different rooms. Those are the valves of the heart. So the valves can go bad, just like the doors in your house can fall off the hinge and not close well. Hmm. So all these are separate conditions, all coming under the umbrella of heart disease. But not all heart disease is coronary disease. Can just have abnormal rhythms. Can have blocked arteries. Can have valve problems. Can have a weak heart muscle. Uh, cardiology is a pretty broad field. And uh, heart disease can present in so many different ways. It's not just a, a. It doesn't mean heart attack necessarily. Right. Heart disease can be is a broad term. It could be any of those things. Heart attack would be one form of heart disease due to coronary disease, but you could just have abnormal rhythms like atrial fibrillation, which a lot of people have. Can have murmurs. Murmurs are the noise made by when a valve doesn't work properly. Either the valve doesn't close well and you have a leaky valve, or it doesn't open well. You have a stenotic valve, like aortic stenosis. We're talking with Dr. Fields here today on the St. Mary Healthline. Dr. Fields, how do we know if our heart is healthy? The easiest part is how well you feel when you're exerting yourself. If you have good exercise tolerance, most of the time your heart's healthy. But the only way you really know is to look at the heart function, and that can be done with an echocardiogram, an ultrasound of the heart, or with a nuclear stress test or a stress echo. A regular stress test, if you just walk on the treadmill hooked up to the EKG machine, which is often done as a, as a first step in evaluating chest pain, that doesn't tell you heart function. You have to look at it either with an echo or a nuclear scan, and then you can see we can't hear heart function. I can't listen to you and tell you if your heart function is good or if you have blocked arteries. When we're listening to the heart, we're mostly listening to see if there's any heart murmurs there. And if there's a murmur, then we usually get an echo to see is there a valve problem. The chest pain when someone comes, so if someone comes with us, depending on what their symptom is, mm-hmm. if they're having some chest discomfort, if the if the description is suspicious, we proceed with stress testing, regular, nuclear, stress echo, depending on your situation. But we kind of listen first. It's most it's why a lot of times the family doc won't order the stress test. Mm-hmm. Not all chest pain is cardiac. Most chest pain is not cardiac. 90% of people get admitted to the hospital with chest pain don't turn out to have heart disease. You just can't afford to guess wrong. The chest pain that concerns us usually isn't painful. It's usually a, ch- a little pressure or heaviness in the chest. Mm-hmm. comes on when you exert yourself, goes away in a few minutes when you rest. It doesn't happen just lying in bed. If you, had, if you were having angina lying in bed, that would mean your arteries are so blocked. There's just sitting still, you're not getting enough blood flow. Mm-hmm. And if that happened... Every time you exert yourself, you should be getting worse symptoms. Right. So if you're watching TV and get chest pain, but you can ride your bike for 20 minutes and feel fine, well, that was probably more just a muscular pain, uh, which is the most common. And if there are any questions, patients should immediately call 911. Uh, That's one of the big things that we've talked about on the St. Mary Healthline before. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't wait. Don't uh, – if you think an event is happening – 
if you're having pressure in your chest and it hasn't gone away within 10, 15 minutes, with take an aspirin at first step. But really, in 15 minutes, if it hasn't gone, call 911. Never drive when you're having chest discomfort. When, if you faint because of an abnormal rhythm and you're driving your car, you may have a fatal event in a situation where you could easily have been saved. You want the ambulance there because also the ambulance will do is they're going to get an EKG. And if you are having a heart attack, we activate our cath team so that when you arrive, you go immediately up through the ER, you know, get quick triage there, and right to the cath lab. Everything's sitting there waiting for you. And we usually have you fixed within an hour of arrival, wow. sometimes less. So, Dr. Fields, you said uh, if you can tolerate exercise, that means your heart probably is in pretty good shape. So one of the early signs of heart disease then is having trouble with activity that you didn't have trouble with before? That's a good way of putting it. And it's not always chest discomfort. It could be, quote, trouble. You're, you're getting short of breath. Fatigue. F- tired faster when you're doing things, getting sh- out of breath faster when you do things. If there's a change in your ability to exert yourself, even if there's no chest discomfort, you should be concerned and get it checked out. Angina or angina, tomato, tomato, could be pronounced either way, is, um, could be subtle. Sometimes it's like the textbook, but a lot of times it's much more subtle than that, and unfortunately, a lot of times that's when it gets missed. And angina is chest pain. Angina is whatever symptom you have when your heart artery isn't when your heart muscle is not getting enough blood flow because of blocked arteries. So most common is that chest pressure, but shortness of breath can be angina. A decrease in your exercise tolerance can be angina. It's whatever you feel when that artery is blocked. But that's not quite a heart attack. Correct. A heart attack means an area of the heart muscle has gone without oxygen long enough that damage has occurred to the heart muscle. That's when they come to the ER, they do a blood test called a troponin level. The damaged cells release their enzymes into the blood, and that's how we use a blood test to determine that. If the blood tests are normal, it means it wasn't a heart attack. It doesn't mean it wasn't your heart. Just means there was no damage. Heart attack means damage. Angina generally does not mean damage. It means you're having symptoms from the blocked artery. If there's actual damage to the heart muscle, that's a heart attack. That's the difference between the two. We're talking with Dr. Ronald Fields here, the medical director of the cardiac cath lab at St. Mary Medical Center. So what is the most troublesome heart condition to treat? That's kind of, that's kind of a loaded question. I mean, I think Oftentimes, that's based on the patient and a lot of factors that must uh, come to bear. I think one of the hardest is some patients are very sensitive to medications. Hmm. Most conditions we can treat. If your blood pressure is high, there's lots of choices there. If your cholesterol is high, there's good medicines there. Most of the abnormal rhythms can be brought under control. But there are some times where a patient has a side effect of the first medicine, the second medicine, the third medicine, and it's more their, um, just their individual makeup that can make it difficult to find meds that work that don't cause them side effects. Most meds are well tolerated. Millions and millions are taking all the meds that we use, but some people are more, just more sensitive than others. I mean, should more listeners be on high blood pressure medication with the most recent guidelines getting changed, or should more listeners just get out there and eat right and exercise? Or that's, that's an easy one, both. The, uh, the traditional risk factors, things haven't changed that much. We, from, we know it's not healthy to smoke. 
Uh, we know diabetes, you want to get your sugars under control. But in a diabetic, even though the biggest cause of death in diabetes is cardiac disease, mm. the, what predicts the mortality in a diabetic is not their sugar. It's their cholesterol. So we treat cholesterol very aggressively in diabetics because that's what is ultimately usually fatal for them when they get blocked arteries. And again, it's the diabetes affecting the art, how the arteries function that makes the diabetic prone towards these. And, and sometimes navigating the different pharmaceutical options can also be difficult for patients in that realm as well? Diabetes has gotten so complex with so many treatment options. Years ago, I would occasionally give a patient diabetic medication. I haven't done that in 20 years. There, there are just too many choices out there. You really need a very good primary care doc um, or an endocrinologist. Most of the primary care docs are very comfortable. It's a lot of their CME education goes into diabetes. Try and figure out which drug for which person. When do you go to insulin? I defer that to the experts. Blood pressure and cholesterol, that I, we will tackle aggressively with the patient. The big part with blood pressure now is the new guidelines. Hmm. So two months ago, literally it's hot off the presses. Yep. Instead of using 140 over 90 as the target to be less than, now it's 130 over 80. Based on a study called the SPRINT trial, lots of times patients are skeptical of trials out there. Many of them are sponsored by pharmaceutical companies, and they wonder, is this real or is it just a company trying to sell their products? Well, this was sponsored by the government. The National Institute of Health did a study looking at like 18,000 people. It's a huge study. And randomized them to just how, to the docs how aggressively to treat their patient. One group got 140 over 90 as a target. The other group got 120 over 80. It's not the guideline, but they were said, adjust meds till you get down to 120 over 80. Use whatever meds you like and you're comfortable with. So there was no medication preference. And they found the group that was treated more aggressively with less heart attacks, less strokes, and a lower mortality. So that study finished a year ago. It stopped prematurely because the results were so dramatic, but took a while for the national committees to review that study and all the other ones that have come out. There's been a, a few other smaller studies and try and come up with a new recommendation. And they're saying now, especially if you have other risk factors, you also have cholesterol or diabetes, get less, try to your best to get less than 130 over 80. You can be a little less aggressive in the elderly, a little less aggressive if there's no other risk factors, but... Controlled, well controlled, is anywhere from like 115 to 130 for the top, 70 to 80 for the bottom. That would be the ideal numbers. New high blood pressure guidelines. Uh, we're talking about that and much, much more on the St. Mary Healthline. And I uh, want to talk with Dr. Fields about a topic which came up just before the show. Uh, you know, let's say you have your cholesterol under control and you do exercise and you're eating right and you've controlled as much as possible all those modifiable risks. You're not a smoker and yet still people in that category will get heart disease and have heart attacks. And we'll talk with Dr. Fields about what he called residual risk and how that can be managed and uh, how cardiologists are taking uh, a more focused look at that part of the world of healthcare. So we'll be right back. More of the St. Mary Healthline coming up on WBCB. Imagine stopping deadly heart attacks and strokes with a tiny patch the size of a coin. Imagine replacing and repairing 40 heart valves through a 2-inch incision. Imagine correcting irregular heartbeats 
with radio frequency energy. St. Mary Medical Center heart specialists solve the most complex cases with advances never before imagined. For a physician referral, call 1-844-7-ST-MARY. St. Mary Medical Center. It's your health. Expect more. Schedule a retirement planning strategy session with TFG Wealth Management. Mark Freed previews his technology others don't have access to and methods other professionals don't consider. Mark's maximum planning process takes you to and through a successful retirement. Call 866-296-8156. Mark Freed at TFG Wealth Management. That's 866-296-8156. Investment advisory services are offered by TFG Wealth Management, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm in the state of Pennsylvania. Insurance products and services are offered through the Freed Group. TFG Wealth Management, LLC, and the Freed Group are affiliated companies. We now return to St. Mary Healthline. And welcome back to the St. Mary Medical Center with Dr. Ronald Fields today, the medical director of the Cardiac Cath Lab, and uh, talking about matters of the heart here in Heart Month. It's February. Statistics say that most Americans have at least one major risk factor for heart disease, but even folks who have managed all of those modifiable risk factors sometimes will show up in the emergency room with a heart-related issue, what what is going on there? Do Does the medical world know, or this is still kind of a mystery? A lot of the residual problems people have still have to do with that lining of the artery not functioning well, or they just couldn't get the risk factors controlled. Mm. So one of the risk factors that can be troublesome is cholesterol. There are some people who get muscle aches when they take the traditional medications, the mm. statins. What we'll often do is stop it, let them feel better, restart at a very low dose, maybe once a week, then after a few weeks, go to twice a week, then three times a week, and gradually build it up and often can find a low dose that they tolerate. But sometimes that is not enough to get the cholesterol under control. There's a new class of drugs that came out last year, closer to two years now, that's an injection, not a pill that you take for cholesterol if it's still high despite the maximum tolerated statin. So some people can tolerate a high dose, Mm -hmm. but they were so high to start with, they're still not controlled. Some people just can't tolerate the high dose or any dose, and their cholesterol is still high because of that. With these new drugs, it's a pre-filled syringe, very simple to do. You um, just hold it against the skin on your thigh, push the button down, wait wait 15 seconds, and throw it out. You never see a needle. You don't have to fill it. And it lowers cholesterol 65%. So that's been a, a huge plus. So there's more people we can treat now that we couldn't treat before. There's also a study that just came out a few months ago that showed that these drugs aren't just effective in lowering cholesterol, but now they have also been proven to lower heart attacks lower mortality, lower strokes. People with peripheral disease um, was about a 30% decrease in leg amputations on this because they got their cholesterol so much better controlled. So we have additional medicines that we couldn't to treat people, particularly with cholesterol. Statins were one of the more common ones to have side effects and were limited other choices. So we now have more choices to get that controlled. 
blood pressure, new more aggressive treatment is we know will help with some of these people still having problems, even though we thought their risks were all well controlled. And now there are new areas because even when those are all controlled, as you were pointing out, there's still some people having heart attacks or strokes or blockages in their legs. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Why does it happen? What do you do for it? So there's two new areas that have been receiving a lot of attention. One is inflammation in the arteries. Mm. We know inflammation plays a role. When the plaque inside the artery is inflamed, the extra white blood cells that respond to the inflammation release some enzymes into the plaque that weaken it and make it more likely to crack open and trigger a heart attack. Mm. Statins, one of their benefits is they lower the inflammation in the artery besides lowering the cholesterol in the artery. Wow. But you couldn't separate the benefit. Was it was the benefit just the cholesterol lowering it? Was it the, also the anti-inflammatory action? They presented a study last summer at one of the national meetings of a new medication. It's been used in the past for rheumatoid arthritis. It's an, inje- it's an infusion you do once every other month, like some of the arthritis medications. Mm-hmm. And it's purely an anti-inflammatory. And they, there's a marker you can test for inflammation in the heart arteries called a C-reactive protein. They took patients, history of heart disease, st- well-controlled risk factors, cholesterol was good, their C-reactive protein was still high. Mm. And they got this infusion every other month, or they got a placebo, and their mortality dropped. Right. So that so helped with that residual it's risk. It's proof now that attacking the re- inflammation will help lower the risk. So that drug is at the FDA now for approval process, and probably later in 2018, we'll start now doing that as a routine basis. Oh, Checking man, that- inflammatory markers. If you're still high once your cholesterol, your risk factors are controlled, there's going to be a treatment option for that. That's brand new. And that really opens things up to, I mean, rheumatoid ar- arthritis or people who have those types of inflammation, are they more likely to have inflammation in the heart? Um, yes. It's not, when you list the traditional risk factors like cholesterol, diabetes, smoking, yeah. all the inflammatory diseases like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, it's all, they're all more prone to heart disease. We don't typically list that as a risk factor, but all the cardiologists know if we see somebody with those diseases, they're much more likely to get heart disease too. Dr. Ronald Fields is our guest here on the St. Mary Healthline. He's the director of the Cardiac Cath Lab. And the cath lab is a way for you guys to kind of look inside the heart. Is that uh, look inside the body in general through catheterization? Um, it is. So uh, there's there are definitely advances within the cath lab. The one other thing I wouldn't mind just touching base on before we go there, Chris, would be the other residual risk. Mm-hmm. There's one more factor that's besides been researched inflammation. Bes- besides inflammation. So we know that aspirin has been the cornerstone of treatment. When someone gets an- angina or angina, it usually means the artery is narrowed. And when you exert yourself, the demand for oxygen outstrips the supply. But when you have a heart attack, it's almost always a clot that is formed in the narrow area, and that's what the aspirin is to go after. They're doing stu- they've done studies now with aspirin, which is an antiplatelet agent, and actual blood thinners. So in the past, they did this with Coumadin. Coumadin is very hard to control. There's other drugs that are used instead of Coumadin for people with AFib or blood clots. The two most common are Xarelto and Eliquis. People see a lot of TV commercials for them. They're studying those drugs in a very low dose along with aspirin, 
And that also helps to seem to lower the risk of heart attacks, Hmm. that you take an antiplatelet agent and a blood thinner together seems to work better than just aspirin alone. So that's also at the FDA now to approve. It's a much lower dose than we use for AFib, so it's a dose that's not on the market now. But we think a more better blood thinning properties will also help lower risk. So to manage the platelets. Platelets and the clot. So there's, your body can clot in different mechanisms. For some things, platelets play the big role, and aspirin and Plavix and Brilinto can are effective. Uh, but um, blood clots work in a different mechanism. Um, for instance, like aspirin doesn't. If you have AFib, aspirin doesn't prevent strokes. You need to take Coumadin or one of the newer blood thinners because the mechanism of forming the clots differently. Hmm. And they found that in the heart artery too. When you attack both clotting mechanisms, the platelet mechanism and this other pathway, you get a better effect than just doing aspirin alone. I mean, it's not surprising that patients sometimes don't know what's happening uh, with their heart because it seems like from five years ago to today, things are quite a bit different. And Chris, sometimes it seems like from five minutes ago to today, things are quite different. Well, what are some of the advances that you've seen that have been most impressive to you that have... Uh, benefited patients most? Well, in prevention, it's more aggressive treatment of risk factors. When I started, target LDL was 130. LDL is the bad cholesterol. Then it was 100. Now it's 70. Um, now we have, plus they have better mechanisms to treat it. Blood pressure has gone from 140 over 90 to 130 over 80. Diabetes have gotten lower to sh- um, target sugars, but we also know t- in a diabetic to be more aggressive with their cholesterol than someone, even if they don't have heart disease. So a big change over the last five to ten years of how aggressive we are with the risk factors. And then the other part is the treatment side. Who needs a, who needs a cath? Who needs a stent? That's changed a lot, too. We do, surprisingly, um, about 20% less catheterizations now than we did three, four years ago. So there's multiple reasons behind that. The stents themselves, for when you, if you do find a blocked artery, the stents have gotten better. They're just better in that they're easier to put in. They're more flexible. They're less prone towards clots forming on them. The struts are thinner, so they don't clot as easily. So the need for taking blood thinners long-term has been shortened. But they have found out you really don't need to fix every blockage you find. Right. So there's two biggies there. One so they'll was, cath somebody but not really do anything. Unless it's critical. Right. So they, there was a study, so well-named, called the COURAGE trial. They took patients with who were going a catheterization. They had stable symptoms. They didn't just have a heart attack. They had stable symptoms. They had a heart attack, maybe a, a positive stress test, no recent heart attack. Found a blockage um, and maybe several blockages in arteries, and they randomized them. Half got an angioplasty. Half said, we're just going to treat your risk factors Hmm. really aggressively. They were way ahead of the curve in doing that. They treated the blood pressure low, cholesterol low. And at the end of the five years, mortality was the same. Wow. About a third of the patients who you treated just with medicines did get worse and needed a stent later. Two-thirds never did. Hmm. So it's... So stents are very good if you just had a heart attack, if your symptoms are bad and not well controlled with medicine. But if your symptoms are mild and you didn't just have a heart attack, the first line of treatment is is make sure there's nothing really critical in that cath. And if it isn't, try treating the risk factors really aggressively. And a good chance, that's all you're going to need. And the proactive approach is one of the things that's making the biggest difference. 
to, to manage to, those risk factors yeah. and to stop events Natural before events. they happen. Before they happen. We used to, when I started doing cats, we, if you saw any blockage more than 50%, especially more than 60%, you fixed it because you didn't know, is it okay? If you left it alone, they had a problem next year, you're going to feel a little really bad. You know, I should, gee, I wish I had treated it then because right. we didn't have these kind of randomized studies. But now we know, you know, you have just, you're not going to make them live longer. And if their symptoms are mild, you're not going to make them feel better. Don't fix it if it ain't broke. So the way to keep your heart healthy is to modify those risk factors that people are pretty well aware of at this point. It is heart month, but again, we'll kind of go over the big ones. No smoking. No smoking. Smoking. Some exercise. Damaging the vessels. And one thing that's so important not to leave out is make sure you pick the right parents. Okay. <laughs> well, that, that decision has been made already, but a genetic component, a part of heart disease and heart issues. It is. That's, that's, again, some of the frustrating part. You could do everything right, but we, we do not know how to test for which genes trigger blo- your arteries to make, be more susceptible to blockage. And we don't, it's because we don't know which genes they are yet. And it's not going to be a single gene. It's going to be a combination that eventually there'll be gene-based therapy that maybe you can modify those genes or what those genes are doing to make the arteries more resistant to the plaque. That would be awesome. Well, if listeners are out there and they were unable to pick their parents and they may feel like they have uh, some uh, heredity uh, or, or hereditary link to heart disease or heart attacks, it just makes those uh, modifying those risk factors even more important. It is. Don't take it lightly. You don't. You can't go back. If you have a stroke or you have a big heart attack, it's not the time to say, gee, I wish I had stopped smoking 10 years ago or I wish I had been exercising or I wish I had followed my doctor's advice. Uh, once the damage is done, it's usually permanent. And you just have to hope it wasn't a life-threatening um, issue. Some heart attacks are small. Some strokes are small. All the things we've talked about apply to stroke risk as well as heart attack risk. Some damage can be permanent, but if you catch it before, you can kind of heal up the heart muscle a little bit? A little bit. Uh, mostly it's making the rest of the muscle stronger to kind of make up for what's lost. But m- mostly a heart attack is permanent damage, but the rest of the heart's a muscle. If you exercise it, the rest can get stronger to make up for it. Not so much with the brain. If you have a stroke, that part is is permanently damaged. Well, we're talking with Dr. Fields here about matters of the heart during heart month. And uh, one thing that we want to remind people of is if they are experiencing an event, call 911 and you guys have a connection with the first responders so that they can relay information to you, get things, get the process started and, uh, whether it's a stroke or a heart attack, every moment matters. Yeah, time is tissue. The longer you take to get the blockage opened up, the more damage occurs to the heart. So really, people, sometimes, more often than not, the average is like two hours before someone calls mm. for an ambulance. It should be 15 minutes. You know, if you can really, if it's not going away, just, just sitting there and it's this pressure in your chest and you're getting a little sweaty and... You just you know something's wrong. Don't blame it on the chili. Um, call, call 
you know, most of the time it is your heart. We we would rather we'd rather have ninety nine out of a hundred false alarms than to take a chance of even missing one. We don't mind. And again, the ambulance can do that. You call the ambulance, they come, they do that EKG. If it's okay, they're still going to bring you in because it could be angina without a heart attack. But if they see the heart attack, we activate things while you're still in your house, right. and we the team is ready for you when you get here. It's made a big difference in survival and in the amount of damage that occurs. All right. Well, if you'd like to find a doctor at St. Mary, you can call the physician referral line, 844-7-ST-MARY. More information online at stmaryhealthcare.org. Again, stmaryhealthcare.org. Thanks once again to Dr. Ronald Fields for being with us and talking a little bit about matters of the heart here during Heart Month for our health line on WBCB. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me.